0: All right, I've got something I want you to really listen to. I want you to bake it into your mind. Giving up is not the same as moving on. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be taking care of business, and I know you are too. Some of you here at the last quarter of the year, yeah, you may need to tune up. You may need to kind of redirect a little bit. You know, I'm going to go through some great questions today, as always, but also I want to give you an update on the employment situation. Now, this has varied meaning for a whole lot of you who may not be tied to traditional jobs, thus not even be on the radar of the government in tracking what employment or unemployment is. We'll we'll run through that, some kind of interesting stats in there as always. So here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at. Any advice for a 28-year-old looking to find a long-term reliable position? All right. Is there such a thing? Is the Well, we'll get to that. Dan, how can I meet my favorite author? How do you know when it's time to cut your losses and close a business? How do you find the balance between being content and not greedy? Golly, great questions. Hey, if you got a question, just shoot it in to Dan at 48days.com. That's where they go. To sit there just in comfort and safety until I open that magic mailbox and can unpack a few that we can discuss here each week well our quotation comes from Marie folio now you should know her she's kind of a rock star out there in the information space right now has a brand new book out called everything is figure outable comes from a statement that she heard her mama say when she was a little girl. Her mama was infamous for just fixing things around the house, taking things apart, whether it's fixing a roof or a little transistor radio. And her mama just didn't think that anything could stop her. Everything is figureoutable. So Marie has a great new book. But this is one of the quotations from the book, which is, giving up isn't the same as moving on. Golly. It's so different. And just to understand that conceptually can really help us. If you're stuck in something, whether it be a job, a business, or a relationship, whatever, golly, it doesn't mean you're giving up or wasted time. You know, whatever you've done has probably been part of the preparation you needed to get you where you are today to be ready to recognize the next new opportunity. But at some point, you may want to do exactly that move on. Well, our resource is our Acres of Diamonds resource. I love that little book. Come back to it again and again and again. You can grab your copy. It just, it helps us understand sometimes our best opportunities are right under our nose. And you can get that by going to 48days.com slash acres. Acres, one of those weird words. You'd never figure out how to spell it if you sounded it, but you can figure it out. Well, I'm sure you know it, A-C-R-E-S, so 48days.com acres. Now there's, you know, there's sometimes common sense things that pop up and seem to be a new novel idea. This is one of those. Writing thank you notes can be traced back to ancient Egypt and Rome. Today, they could make or break your chances of getting the job you want. A new study finds 63% of recruiters are more likely to hire someone who wanted a higher salary but sent a thank you note than to hire somebody who who wanted slightly less money but didn't bother to express gratitude. Now, how simple is that? Write a thank you note after you've had an interview and it increases dramatically your chances of getting a job. Seems like a common sense thing, but I know a lot of people don't. I've got a stack of cards here in my office, and I know how meaningful it is to get a card. I shoot those out regularly, and of course, I receive a lot of them. I've got a box full of cards that I receive that are very, very meaningful. If I ever get discouraged, I can go look through that box and just uh, be refreshed by the thank you notes in there. Well, a couple good news notes here, and then we'll move into the questions for today, how about this one? Bar employees spent a month taking down dollar bill decor to collect fifteen thousand dollars for Hurricane Dorian relief. Now you know how this is. this is. All, it's always been a tradition for customers at Siesta Oyster Bar to contribute to the restaurant's decor by attaching dollar bills to the wall. Now you know you've been in places like that. Some places have, you know, hats, caps, baseball caps you know, or it could be some kind of a baseball cards or something. But this particular place is dollar bills. It's just part of the decor. They kind of wallpapered the walls and people would just pin up dollar bills. Well, the staffers have been working tirelessly over the course of the last month to remove all that wallpaper so they can donate the money. I mean, those are real dollar bills. So they can donate it to the hurricane relief in the Bahamas. So since Hurricane Dorian blew through the islands, you know, a month or so ago. The staffers have collected over $15,000 in dollar bills. That's kind of cool to think about it. I mean, some of you probably have coin collections at your house that are worth that, or maybe you have something else that you've been collecting. Yeah. What a novel idea to just take that collection and turn it into real money and donate it to something worthwhile. Well, they've, uh, successfully removed about 90% of the bills. And what happened is customers coming in, seeing what they're doing and hearing why they're doing it, started to contribute. So people would throw in, you know, a $5 bill, a $10 bill, a $20 bill. So they've raised another $10,000 just by doing that. And they're going to raise some more by having a fundraiser, but just kind of one of a neat, uh, neat thought. There may be something that you have, kind of your acres of diamonds, something right under your nose that would make a worthwhile contribution to somebody else. I got a couple of stories that we're cooking on for our place here, things we've got around our property that we are, in fact, going to do that. Things that have been really meaningful, but we're going to donate them to. We're the organizations, uh, rather than just trying to hang on or move them to a new place. Well, here's a story. This comes out of Canada. Now, this is it this is just interesting. It just got my attention because it's, it's humorous. It's a little twist on what you would expect. Even though plastic bags are bad news for the planet, we often accept them at stores when we're in a hurry or forget our reusable ones. I mean, I know I'm guilty of that. If Joanne calls me and wants me to stop at the grocery store, I don't have those reusable bags. Now, she's got tons of them in the back of her car. It's annoying when we pack up to go somewhere, but I appreciate the fact that she's got them there and she uses them at the grocery store. So not bringing out plastic bags, but I'm not that conscientious, I guess. I don't have bags in the back of my car. So if I stop, yeah, it's probably going to be a plastic bag that comes out. However, if you happen to be in the East West market in Vancouver, British Columbia, you might think twice this supermarket came up with an amusing and you know just a clever strategy to encourage their customers to avoid using their single-use bags. So rather than featuring their store logo, so Kroger, Publix, Harris Teeter, whatever on, on the front of the disposable bags, they've imprinted those bags with embarrassing slogans. Some of them were emblazoned with colon care co-op, Others featured a fake logo for an adult video emporium, and some were labeled wart ointment. The supermarket's owner, David Lee Quinn, wanted to use reverse psychology because it's only human nature for people not to like being told what to do. So, you know, just telling people, gee, they shouldn't be using plastic bags, yeah. They say, well, you know, I can make up my own mind. But if if they know they're gonna carry a bag out that's got an embarrassing imprint on it, yeah, I love that idea. So he says, obviously, they want to do something humorous, make them think at the same time. And for most of their customers, the bags had intended effect. And one of the customers said, i probably carry my groceries in my arms back and forth to my car before I took out one of those bags. Well, neat story. I love just sharing those things that make us think about things in new ways. You know, good news tends to do that. It just makes us recognize opportunities for making the world a better place with ideas that are all around us. Well, somebody asked me this week, you know, Dan, well, it happened to be Seth Godin said, you know, Seth Godin is my favorite author. You know, you talk about having met him, you know, how did you meet Seth Godin? Well, you know, there are a lot of people who read books by you know, authors and they think, wow, I'd love to meet that person. Well, can you do that? Well, yes, you can. Now here's the deal. I have met Seth because I went to a one day event in New York city. So it was a small event at a little theater there. So just a handful of us, we got to ask him questions and just share with him for the day. You know, I I paid for that. I think it was like $1,500 that I paid to go do that. But I've met a whole lot of my heroes. Now here's the thing I've met people like Seth Godin, uh, Tom Hopkins, You've heard me talk about Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, met him many times, Jack Canfield, the other author, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Um, of course, Michael Hyatt, Dave Ramsey, I mean, Jeff Goins, local people, Guy Kawasaki, Brendan Bouchard, Joel Osteen, Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favorite authors, uh, Martha Stewart, Marie Forleo, whose quotation we have today, Ray Edwards, Andy Andrews, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, Ruth Sukup, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Chris Gilliboo, John Tesh, Daniel Pink, and I could go on all day long. Those are people that I met because I went to events where those people were speaking. And it does make a difference when you get to shake hands and talk to somebody personally who's had an impact, perhaps through a course or through their writing or through their song. Of course, I didn't even start to list musicians here, but you can meet people. People are not as untouchable as you might think. I find people are pretty approachable, no matter what level they're at. You know, recently had the privilege of uh, you know, talking to Dan Cathy. You know, You've heard me talk about that. You know, people who are extremely successful tend to be very approachable and very generous with their time and talent. The wisdom that they have. But if so, if you want to meet somebody, wow, all you got to, all you have to do is just go check out their calendar. Where are they going to be? Are they going to be at a conference near you? Are they going to be doing a book signing? You know, look for opportunities to do that. And I know that, and, and for some of the people that I mentioned, of course, I've developed lifelong friendships with them and we share resources and do things together. So you can do that but you got to get in the game. You can't just sit in your house, you know, behind your computer screen, you know, and pining away, wishing that you were lucky enough. I mean, nah, get out there. You can do it. I'd love to hear some of the stories from you. Shoot me some stories that you've got about meeting people who had a big impact on your life. And then you had an opportunity to actually meet them face to face. How did you come up with that? How did you structure that? How are you able to do that? You know, shoot, shoot me in some examples of that. I'll share them next week. Just ask Dan at 48 days.com. Well, this comes from Sam who says I'm a fairly new listener, but I've devoured about 20 episodes in the past two weeks. Found the content very helpful and beneficial. My current issue is the lack of direction and being weighed down by student debt. My eclectic work experience and college degree is making it difficult to find the correct path. My education—I have a bachelor's of science in game design. Wow, this is—and probably always will be—a passion of mine. But living in Fremont, Nebraska, is—it's not a good degree to have during the job search. Boy, let me just interject there too, man. Sam, I feel your pain here. Wow, this is one of those where—how did you get talked into getting a college degree and borrowing the money to do so to get a degree in game design? Man, I mean, there are 12-year-olds who are geniuses at game design and game play. I know right now uh, Cliff Ravenscraft had just came back from a conference with his son where it was a gamers conference, and his son has decided that's the career that he wants. But I very, very seriously doubt that he's going to invest four years in a college to claim his ability to do gaming. There are a lot of these things where there's a much shorter, much less expensive path to becoming proficient in that well be that as it may. I'm sorry that that's happened to you. Um, Sam it goes on work experience working for the city, auto parts delivery, PHP web developer, project planning, quality assurance, now a photographer at a car dealership. I thoroughly enjoyed working for a small tech company here in Fremont in Fremont, Nebraska, as a developer and planning testing projects. However, this company did not pay well, and I felt I needed to make a change for my family. I took a job at a car dealership as a salesman because of the opportunity to make $90,000 a year at this particular dealership. I quickly found out being a car salesman was not good for my state of mind. Transitioned to the company's photographer and am now at the same income I was while working for the small tech company. I've also spent time streaming, freelance graphic design, started my own window washing company in high school, and enjoy creative writing in my spare time with nearly $40,000 in student loan debt. And a goal of buying a country home that would allow my wife to have horses, I feel like I'm a long ways from being where I want to be. I know I'm hardworking, reliable, and creative employee, but my job search has not led me to a great job. Any advice for a 28-year-old looking to find to, to find a really good long-term reliable position? Well, here's the, the I've got good news and bad news, Sam. And a whole lot of you listening are already identifying with where Sam is. You got a degree. It hasn't really opened a lot of doors for you. Student loan debt and you feel kind of stuck just looking for a job that'll give you some kind of security and a great income. Well, the bad news is there's no such thing as a long-term, reliable, well-paying position. Doesn't exist. It's gone. There's no security in the workplace. Now that's the bad news. The good news is you can create your own security. Your security is in knowing what your unique talent and your passion are. If you know those, then it's just a matter of application. Let's just take one thing you mentioned here. If you're a web developer, you can get a hundred different jobs. My goodness, I mean, don't think that there's a a set range of pay for that. That's one of those areas where there are people making 30,000 and people making 300,000. So it's really a broad range of what you, you can apply for positions, get six different job offers and choose one that you think is the best opportunity. So you could do that. You can do freelance work. Certainly you can contract, um, you know, you could contract to handle the web development for four different hospitals there where you live in Nebraska, or you could offer an initial website for artists. So you're just going to really focus in on a specialty. Uh, so a website that shows their past work, the current pieces they have for sale, upcoming art shows they're going to be participating in and have a method of payment and estimated shipping cost, and make that your unique specialty. You're the go-to guy for a website for an artist. I mean, any of those you could do. But the deal is your security is not in finding the right job with a great guaranteed paycheck. You're going to drive yourself crazy looking for that. Your security is knowing you are in the driver's seat, knowing that you understand your unique skill and having a clear plan for providing work that matters for people who care. And you can do that. You don't need to be discouraged. You can do that. But don't try to find that little box that you're trying to move yourself into where your security and all those nice benefits are going to be provided. Again, that's a futile search. That doesn't exist anymore. But if you can put yourself in the driver's seat, you can open opportunities, move yourself out. I mean, $40,000 is a pain in the neck, but it's not insurmountable by any means. My goodness. If you get a job where you're making $10,000 uh, a month, you know, dedicate $2,000 a month and uh, you know, year and a half, whatever that is, you you'll be, have that off your back. So you can do that. Now, in thinking about this, I was reminded of one of those things that Jim Carrey, the actor, said. He spoke at a graduation ceremony, and he said it really was his father who inspired him to follow his dreams. I mean, that's when you we're describing what you want here, a house in the country, pay off your debt, have a great job. I mean, surely that's reasonable, realistic, all those things. Absolutely. Jim Carrey says it was really his dad who inspired him to follow his dreams. Otherwise, he knows his life could have taken a different path. So he says, after explaining in this commencement address that most people don't believe they can ask God for what they want, their dreams, he gave this story about his father. He said, many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that it was possible for him. So he made a conservative choice, and instead, he got a job as an accountant. And then he says, this is kind of the moral of the story, Jim Carrey says, when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. He thought it was safe, practical, realistic, you know, he'd always have it. No, he was let go. Our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which is that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you do want. Kelly, that's great advice. I mean, as so many people have tried to take that practical path. I mean, we have just south of where I live here, the Saturn plant. When General Motors opened that, my goodness, it was like, you know, 6,000 jobs. People flocked there. It exploded an entire city around the plant. The genesis of Spring Hill, Tennessee was the Saturn plant. Well, people thought if you get a job there, you can turn your brain off. You're set. You're going to get a paycheck the rest of your life, a great pension, you know, retirement benefits, all that. You're done. Well, that didn't happen. Saturn didn't sell well. And they finally announced they were going to close the plant. There were hundreds and hundreds of people at that plant who did not believe that would happen. They thought it was one of those things too big to fail. Somebody will step in at the last minute. The government will save it like they have some other car companies. Roger Penske was negotiating to purchase it, the race car driver. That didn't happen. And four days before Thanksgiving, a few years ago, they closed it. Well, there went the predictability, the really safe, secure job, boom, out the window. Now, since then they've revived, they're doing some things, they're building engines and actually some other lines like traverse and all that, but it was a major blow to a whole lot of people to be let go from a job that they thought they had chosen wisely because it was safe. But how many of those people do you think were sitting on dormant dreams? How many of those people do you think, this would be interesting, I ought to do some research on this. How many of those people, those 6,000 people, let's say, who in losing their jobs tapped into a dormant dream and now are doing something that is much more fulfilling, meaningful, and profitable than what they had at the time? We know stories are out there. I ought to dig some of those up. I know a couple, but uh, instead of flipping in some of the details, I'll save those for another time. But that happens a lot. Well, so what's happened in the employment situation? I said we'd touch on this. So I just got the stats. You know, here we are at the beginning of October. So I just got the stats from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I always get the update on the employment situation. So this is the employment situation that just for September here, September, 2019. So very, very recent. Well, the unemployment rate declined to 3.5% officially in September. Now here's the deal the unemployment rate declined by 0.2 percentage points to 3.5%. Now keep in mind, we consider 5% unemployment to be full employment because there's always going to be 5% of the people who are in transition, you know, are taking a little break, you know, moving around. We consider 5% full employment. And under that, it's really tough for companies to get people because essentially anybody who wants to work is working. Okay, so there's that. So it declined to 3.5%. The last time the rate was this low was in December 1969. That's 50 years ago. Unemployment has not been this low for 50 years. I mean, the numbers are just astounding. The new jobs that are being created month after month after month. Now, here's the one thing that I always pull out of the, un- the unemployment statistics. You know what's coming here. It's this one term that baffles my mind, and that is discouraged workers. By the government's calculation in the United States, in September, there were 321,000 discouraged workers. What does that mean? What is a discouraged worker? I mean, this, again, just confounds me that they have a term that they call discouraged and how they would try to identify Now, this is where it gets interesting. Discouraged workers are persons not currently looking for work because they believe no jobs are available for them. All right, that's it. So if somebody has said, ah, you know, nobody's hiring, there's no jobs out there. Now, I don't know how you could actually convince yourself of that. When today you can't drive one city block without seeing eight signs, we're hiring, please apply. Then the signs are everywhere. You can walk in unannounced to any company and chances are really good. They need additional people. That's just the way the hiring situation is. And so for people, 321,000 discouraged workers, people who have given up looking because they don't think there are any jobs available. But now here's the other part of that. This is that old Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. What the government can't track is, let's say, 10,000 of those people decided last month, eh, I don't like being offered a $15 an hour job. Yeah, they're available, but I don't want that kind of job, and that's all I'm finding. So I'm going to start a window washing business, just like Sam Listener, we just read his question. I'm going to start a window washing business. I'm going to start sealing driveways. Golly, this is the time of year where they come around and want to, you know, clean and seal your driveway. Golly, how tough is it to get into that business? Yeah, five gallon bucket and a squeegee, you're in. Well, I mean, there are people in droves who have dropped off the unemployment rolls, disappeared into places the government has no idea what's going on. And there are people who some of them we may call accidental entrepreneurs. Sure, they didn't really intend to do this, but because the employment situation is like it is because the jobs available are not to their liking because they're tired of being jerked around by yet another boss or tired of being vulnerable and not knowing if their job will be there next year. They've decided I'm going to do something on my own. And we see people start a little online business. You know, people start doing Fulfilled by Amazon, where you find products and you can check instantly to see what they're selling online for. You can go, there are people that go to Target, Walmart, Sam's, Costco and buy merchandise that they immediately put back up online and make margins. So they're making four or $5,000 a month doing that. The opportunities are just all around us out there. Well, hey, I'll take a break here before we go into uh, the next question, which is a great one. But uh, just a reminder, these are real-life questions coming in from people like you, you and me. Hey, golly, I submit my own questions. I have coaches that I work with and places that I go to get answers for things that I'm dealing with. I love that. I just got back from a two-day conference in Atlanta where I had an opportunity to lay a whole bunch of things out that I'm working on to make one particular division of our business better. I love those opportunities. So believe me, we're all in this together looking for answers, looking for solutions, looking for ways to up the levels of success that we're experiencing in all areas of our lives. So hey, if you got a question and you'd like to hear us kind of unpack it here, I'd be delighted to, and be honored to Be the recipient of that. Again, you can just shoot that in to at 48 dayscom You can also go to any page at 48days.com. You'll see a little microphone down in the corner there. You can just hit that, start talking. Most of your computers at this point have a built-in microphone and you can leave an audio message if you prefer to do that. This question comes from Nancy who says, how do you know when it's time to cut your losses and close a business? Well, she asked this in the 48 Days Eagles community. And got a whole bunch of really great responses in there. Well, I put mine in along with a lot of other people, but uh, people put in helpful things about how to, you know, determine is this something that you really enjoyed or something that is still making money? You know, does it really still have an impact? You know, there are a whole lot of questions you you can ask. When do you know it's time to cut your losses and close a business? For me, my cutoff is one year. Now, there's reasons for saying that. I mean, I don't want to second guess myself too quickly, but if I've worked on something for a year and I'm not seeing significant results, boom, I'm on to the next idea. But now, this is where our quotation for today really comes into play. Keep in mind, there's a big difference between giving up and moving on. Now, one of the things that we see again, in government statistics is that three out of five businesses fail in the first three years. You know, you hear that kind of garbage again and again and again. It's as old as Methuselah. You know, three out of five businesses fail. But here's what they don't really unpack. Here where I live in Williamson County, there's a whole lot of people who are doing yard work. Well, we know that. It's pretty easy to get into. You can swing by Home Depot, get a $600 lawnmower, put it in the back of your pickup truck, and again, you're in business but that also means that's pretty competitive. So let's say that you did that three years ago and now you realize, wow, it's just a lot of long hours. It's just linear work. There's a lot of competition. If you've got a, a half acre yard, you're going to have six people come by and give you bids on that. They're going to all be really close together. And the only way you're going to get the business is to be a little lower. Yeah, that's not a fun business to be in. So you may decide, you know, these people have discretionary income. They want their yard to look nice. What if I started doing gazebos to add in the yard? Just a pleasant little place together to have grandkids, you know, hang out in a place in the shade with a fan there where you can have a little picnic. You know, I don't know. You could, you could say, I'm going to do water features. I mean, those are really popular. We have multiple water features on our property and love those. You could decide you're going to do that. So if you were mowing yards, And now you decide, you know, I'm going to have a little bit different approach. I'm still going to be helping people beautify the outside of their house, these wonderful places, beautiful places that they have here in Franklin, Tennessee. But I'm going to do water features and I'm going to do gazebos. You know what that looks like to government statistics? Oh, there's another business. Didn't make it three years. Out of business. He's gone. Well, he's gone because, you know, Joe's landscaping now became, you know, Joseph's unique gazebos. They've moved on just like entrepreneurs do. So those people, it doesn't mean that, wow, their business didn't survive. So now they're doing nothing or now they're, you know, sitting on the sidewalk with a tin cup, not a chance. Those people are saying, I've moved on to something else. So there are a lot of things you may start where you come to that point and you realize, you know what? I learned a lot from this, but I need to move on. I need to go on to the next idea. while I was uh, just looking at this quotation, the difference between giving up and moving on, I ran into some others as well. Here's another one. Let me give you a couple other uh, just thought provoking ideas in this space that I really liked. Holding on is believing that there's a past. Letting go is knowing that there's a future. How about this one? Some of us think holding on makes us stronger, but sometimes being stronger means letting go. God, I love that. You know, it could be a weak position just to try to maintain something that's not working. You show your strength, creativity, and perseverance by moving on to something else. Phil McGraw, Dr. Phil, says, stand up and walk out of your history. Love that. Joseph Campbell Philosopher says we must be willing to let go of the life we have planned, so as to accept the life that is waiting for us. Doctor Dennis Waitley says, "Don't dwell on what went wrong; instead, focus on what to do next. Spend your energies on moving forward toward finding the answer." Now, another thing that is a factor here, and it's a concept that I'm sure a lot of you understand, and that's the concept of sunk cost bias sunk cost bias. Here's how that works. Let's say that I, you know, I, I buy an old Ford and I pay $2,500 for it. And it's been a good car. Jim, you know, my daughter drove it back and forth to, to school. All of a sudden this thing won't move. And we discover the transmission is out of it. Now to get a new transmission is $1,800. What do I do? Do I just say, well, I already spent $2,500, so I have to keep money, put money into this thing. And so I spend another, that's sunk cost bias, where we get so enamored with what it is we've already done that we just keep pouring money into it. And of course, there are thousands of stories about houses and real estate investments and things like this, but just a simple car one will work for us here. Me, there There is no way, guaranteed, there is no way I'm ever going to spend $1,800 for a new transmission in a $2,500 car. It's too easy to find an $1,800 car or find a a better $2,500 car. I just wouldn't do it. Not going to go there. But a lot of people get caught up in that kind of thinking with what they've started. Gee, it's an accounting business. It's sucking the life out of me. It's just linear income. My customers are small and don't pay on time, but this is what I'm trained in. This is what my degree is in. This is what I know. So I just got to keep doing it. And you know, now I've got to buy a new computer to keep doing this. So I'm pouring money into something that's not even paying the bills. That's sunk cost bias. And that is an example of where you need to move on. That doesn't mean you're giving up. That's a totally different mindset. Moving on. Wow. That is where you want to go. All right. Let me grab one more here. We'll wrap up with this. This comes from Greg. Says, Dan, I'm struggling with how do you remain content? We got a lot of philosophical ones today. It's funny how the questions often go in clear themes. This is another day where they seem to kind of have to do with mindset optimism, and all that. So this is no ex- exception. Greg says, I'm struggling with how do you remain content while seeking and developing your dreams? It seems while working your dreams, you always want more. How do you find balance between being content and not being greedy? Golly, I love that. Okay. How do you keep moving toward your dream? Is that okay? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared, the Joanna and I watched a movie and it was uh about a little girl who wanted to be a news anchor in that particular one, and she kept, you know, trying to move toward that. And her, her mama said, Look, you know, that's a big dream. And she said, Your dream when you were eight years old was adorable. I mean, now think about this. You know, how we would get excited about an eight year old who wants to be an astronaut, or who wants to be president of the United States, or wants to be, you know, the next Oprah or whatever it is. So eight years old, yeah, your dream was adorable when you're 18 years old it was inspiring you're 28 years old it's embarrassing that you're still hanging on that dream you know don't wait until your dream is heartbreaking now that's a really really pessimistic chain of events there to see it in that way my goodness there are a lot of people who i mean i didn't i didn't start writing books till i was like 44 years old and now i'm known primarily as an author I mean, a lot of things, you don't even at 28 years old, you're still trying to figure out what the right questions are to ask. But let's talk about this being content while you're working toward a dream. You know, is it just being greedy to always want more? Well, here's. If I just think back, when I was getting my master's degree, we lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I'd gone to the Ohio State University, and my bachelor's there, worked for a few years. Then we went to Bowling Green, Kentucky to get my master's at Western Kentucky University. They offered me a teaching assistantship, beautiful campus, beautiful town. We fell in love with it and said, we're going to be here. Now, during that period of time, it was about two and a half years. You know, I'm, I'm a car guy. You know, any of you have listened for any period of time, you know that I love cars. I like fast cars, flashy cars, Everything about it, I love the smell of gasoline and the burn of rubber. I mean, I, I just I still love that. You know what I was driving those years? I was getting my master's degree. I was driving a 1966 Plymouth Satellite four door. Now, if you can think about anything that would scream "old man who doesn't understand fashion," or <laughs> it would be a 1966 Plymouth Satellite. Plymouth Satellite. Four door, not even a two door, not a Cooper, a four door. I bought it for six hundred dollars at a neighbor's auction. Somebody had died, an old old man had died. It was an old man's car, but it had kind of low miles on it. I paid six hundred bucks, and it, I mean, it was the ugliest car I've ever owned. It was some kind of brown color. It, you know, a lot of you listening don't even know what a Plymouth is because they stopped making them in 1974. So it's not even a a model that you can get, of course, under the Chrysler brand, but it's not even a model that's available anymore. Now, in that period of time, yeah, we lived in an old house. I mean, it had drafty windows, no air conditioning. I mean, I had a $50 bicycle that I rode back and forth to classes. Was I living my dream? No. No. Was I content? Yes because I knew I was laying the foundation for something better. See, I see every stage of life like that. This is preparation for something better, something more fulfilling, something with with more potential for impact and influence. Now, keep in mind when I'm describing more here, I mean, doesn't necessarily mean more money and a bigger house. More often does not mean a bigger bank account. It may mean a change in lifestyle, more time spent with family or working on a new project. And here's the other part of your question. Being greedy and moving toward your dream are two entirely different concepts. You could be making $10 an hour and be greedy. And believe me, there's a lot of people out there. You can spot them. You could be making a million dollars a year and still be greedy. Or you can be discontent at either of those positions or you can be content at either of those as well because you know it's a season of your life where you're preparing for something that's coming. That's really the, the key to being content is the belief that there's something better that's coming up ahead. Once we lose that confidence, we lose the hope the faith that there's something up ahead. Of course, that's part of the definition of faith. the hope, Believing that there's something better coming up ahead. If you lose that, then it's real easy to degenerate into greediness. Yep, you just want more. You'll take it any way you can. You want what somebody else has. You move into greediness. But it has little to do with where you are in the financial scale. Being content is a mindset has nothing to do with where you are on that financial scale. I mean, to be content, and we'll kind of wrap up with this. To be content means that we enjoy the now, the, the things that are happening right now, the things that are present right now in our lives. I don't, it doesn't matter what you're going through or what you're hoping for, moving toward, you still have the ability to enjoy today, enjoy the present. That has a lot to do with how content we are paying attention to what we value and what we shape our lives around. Having clear values, of course, having clear goals as well. But if I have big goals for the year coming up for 2020, that doesn't mean I'm discontent now. I can be content and still be working very, very actively toward the goals that I've laid out. I mean, this is one of those times where, you know, we don't want to live just, looking at the externals, but can you get quiet? Can you listen to your own inner voice? Can you spend times just in meditation? You know, if you're content, you will be able to do that. Do you have activities that just feed your soul and that benefit not only you, but the people immediately around you? Boy, that's a sign of contentment. I mean, contentment is... It's not a destination. It's not either you're not content or you're content. No, contentment is a lifelong mindset. It's a lifelong process. It's that continually checking in with ourselves and recognizing, wow, I'm developing. I'm becoming, To me, that's really part and parcel of that. Contentment is knowing I'm not going to be the same person a year from now. Now, that may sound counterintuitive to think that, well, I'm changing, so I'm not content. No, to me, those go hand in hand. I love today, what I'm doing today. I love the life that I have today. Is this the same life that I'm going to have five years from now? Not a chance. I've got some great goals lined out, some things I'm working on that are coming together that are developing there are things that i started you know 10 years ago that are now coming into fruition now i mean that process to me is always exciting every single day so i'm content but i know i'm moving i'm not stuck if i think i'm stuck and i've lost hope that i'm moving towards something yeah that's when i can become discontent and greedy hey i hope that answers your question greg great question Thanks for asking that. Well, as always, golly, this is just a a time to recognize that we are moving into a new season. The time of year that we've got here is a great time to be doing that. Check out our resource. You know, we had that resource. Go to 48days.com slash acres. It'll maybe help you be more content. It may open your eyes to things that are right under your own nose that you could take advantage of. I mean, this is a great time of year to be doing that. But be that as it may, I hope you do have a clear idea of what you're going to get to. Not because then you'll be content. Now, don't view it in that way. Contentment is a choice. You can be content today, even as you're moving toward the wonderful things you want to have in place in your life three years from now. Two years from now. Next year, 2020. Again, what an exciting time to be mapping out what that's going to be. But as always, thanks for your Questions that you shoot in, just shoot those in to ask dan at 40days.com. Thanks for being part of this growing community, whether you're in our larger community receiving the newsletter, if you're already in the Eagles community, love what's happening there. People are sharing ideas and resources there and moving toward those things that they want to have in place in their lives. So thanks for being part of this group where we know together we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.